Good morning, friends. Uh, today's message is titled, Three Questions for God. It comes from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, uh, starting about verse 12 and going through about chapter 2, verse 4. What do you do when you pray to God and you don't like the answer you received? Well, we've all been there, most of us, many times, because, well, that's just the way life is. You have your dreams, you make your plans, you sincerely seek to do God's will, you pray to the Lord, and when the answer comes, it's not what you wanted. What do you do then? Well, we don't talk about this often, but perhaps we should. Live long enough and you'll discover that God's plan and yours are are often not the same. We all know that we should pray, Thy will be done, and most of us do, but it still jolts the spirit when we discover that God has a completely different plan in mind. Well, that's Habakkuk. He doesn't like the answer he received either. First, he thought God was ignoring Judah's sin. Second, he thought God would never use Babylon to judge Judah, and he was wrong both times. So what do you do when God doesn't live up to your expectations? How do you respond when the Lord's answer isn't what you wanted? Habakkuk was troubled by something that troubles all of us. He couldn't reconcile his view of God with the injustice he saw all around him. A number of years ago, pollster uh, George Barna asked Americans this question. If you could ask God one question and know that you would receive an answer, what would you ask? Well, by far the number one response was, Why is there pain and suffering in the world? That makes sense because we see suffering on every hand, and we wonder where it comes from and why God allows it. C.S. Lewis once remarked that the problem of suffering is atheism's greatest weapon against the Christian faith. I mean, why did the tornado land here and not there? Why was this girl kidnapped and that one escaped? Why would God allow a child to be born with a disability? Why are Christians being brutally massacred in Nigeria and other places around this world? The list of questions seems endless. At some point, we've got to deal with God, and that brings us to this little book of Habakkuk. It was written in approximately 605 B.C. This is the story of one man who wrestled with God about hard questions. In three short chapters, he brings us face to face with the deepest mysteries of life. Here's just a simple little outline. Chapter 1, faith tested. Chapter 2, faith taught. And chapter 3, faith triumphant. When we read this book, and I really want to urge you to do that in the next number of weeks, the most striking thing is the change that takes place inside Habakkuk. In three chapters, he moves from fear to faith, burden to blessing, perplexity to praise, confusion to confidence, and worry to worship. It all boils down to this one fact. The Babylonians are coming and you can't stop them. When they reach Jerusalem, they're going to conquer it and eventually they'll destroy it. And I'm using you to judge, I'm using them to judge Judah for her sins. And when Habakkuk hears this, he objected vehemently. God, how can you do this? Well, that's the key to the book. It's a dialogue between a frustrated man of faith and a God whose ways he cannot understand. So we can frame the book this way. The issue is not Judah and her sin. The issue is not Babylon and its evil. The issue is not Habakkuk's doubts. The issue is God. And guess what? We all end up there eventually. All of our questions lead back to God because he is the one with whom we must deal. 
All smaller issues lead us back to the one who sits on the throne of the universe. So in the last half of Habakkuk 1, the prophet has three questions for God. And after asking, he'll make a decision that shapes everything else in this book. Here's question number one. Who are you? Verse 12, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Now, what do you do when God makes no sense? Well, I guess you either walk away from your faith or you remind yourself who God is. And sometimes what we need is a good dose of theology to strengthen our faltering faith. When faced with the news that the hated Babylonians would soon invade Judah and nothing could stop them, Habakkuk goes back to what theologians call the first principles. I mean, go back and look again what he calls God. Everlasting. I mean, you're sovereign. Lord, you're the personal God of Israel. God, you're the strong one, the creator, the majestic ruler. Holy. You are in a class by yourself and set apart from sin. A rock. You're the only safe place. Now, these are not small points. As Habakkuk tries to get his mind around the shocking truth God is about to use Babylon to judge Judah, he goes back to what he knows to be true. And friends, this is a vital first step for all of us. I mean, consider it this way. If you remove God's sovereignty, you will forever question his wisdom. If you remove God's loyal love, you will forever question his faithfulness. If you remove God's majesty, you will forever question his power. And if you remove God's holiness, you will forever question his fairness. If you remove God's protection, you'll forever question his goodness. So the question is is not, do I believe in God, but rather, what sort of God do I believe in? That's a key question we all must answer. And over the years, I've learned that faith is a choice you make. I mean, sometimes you choose to believe because of what you see, but often you believe despite what you see. As I look around the world, uh, many things remain mysterious and unanswerable. But if there is no God and if he is not good, then nothing at all makes sense. <clears throat> now, I have chosen to believe because, well, I must. I, I have no other choice. If I sound confident, it is only because I've learned through tears that my only confidence is in God and God alone. I have tried to do it on my own, in my own way, what Habakkuk uh, talks about in this verse. Time and again, when faced with mysteries, I cannot explain. I go back, though, to the first principles of life. God is good. God is holy. God is just. God knows all things. God is love. God makes no mistakes. The Bible is true. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and someday he's going to return to this earth. The Holy Spirit is real. I'm sealed with the Spirit. God is always with me. All things work together for my good and for God's glory according to his plan. And God's will complete his work in me. I mean, just writing those sentences again brought faith kind of renewed into my heart. And that's what I mean by going back to the first principles. Now, most of us know this chant between the pastor and the congregation. It goes something like this. The pastor says, God is good. The congregation says, all the time. The pastor says, all the time. And the congregation says, God is good. When I was in Nigeria a number of years ago, I learned an addition. After they say that chant, everyone then says in unison, I am a witness. You know, that's good. That's powerful. That's biblical. Maybe you should stop right now and say those words out loud. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And I am a witness.
See, the last phrase makes that truth very personal. That's exactly what Habakkuk is doing in verse 12. Despite his confusion, he's giving a testimony to his own faith in God. Now, here's question number two. How can you do this? In verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Well, here we reach the heart of the problem. We all understand that there are moral inequities in this universe. While we say commonly that into each life a little rain must fall, it seems like some people get a sprinkle while other people live with a torrential downpour of trouble. So how do we explain this? Well, Habakkuk's problems stem from a seeming conflict in God. If God cannot tolerate wrongdoing, which is a true point, how then could he use the Babylonians to judge Judah, also a true point? I mean, Babylon's sins, it seems, at least were far greater than Judah's. So isn't this a contradiction? Well, the answer is no. There are no contradictions with the Almighty, but it is true that he does things that seem to us to be inconsistent. The key here is the little phrase, seem to us. God's ways will not always make sense to us, even not even when they are viewed with the eyes of faith. Perhaps a better way to put it would be that in the short run, which is all of life for all of us, God's way will sometimes not make sense to us. We simply don't know why things happen the way they do. I mean, sometimes we find out later, and sometimes we will not know until we get to heaven. I'd suggest to you that every thoughtful person wrestles with this at some point. Eventually, we're forced back to to the first law of the spiritual life, which is, he is God, and we are not. Every mistake we make comes because we forget this basic fact. It's good for all of us to remember Psalm 115, verse 3. Oh, God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Whenever I read that verse, I want to say, Any questions? Well, no, not for me. At this point, God has not yet answered Habakkuk's question. And that's going to come in the next chapter. But for the moment, let me simply note that any answer must go back to the truth that God is God and we are not. And until we grasp that, we will continually struggle with the Lord. So here's question three Habakkuk asks. How long will this last? Verse 17. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Now, the he in this verse refers to the whole Babylonian army, personified by Nebuchadnezzar as one person. He keeps on conquering one nation after another, and no one can stop him. If he sees a city, he takes it. If he wants what you have, he takes it. If he captures you, he'll probably kill you. To him, men are like fish, and he's got the net. He keeps reeling in one nation after another. And guess who he's fishing for now? Judah. In the face of this crushing evil, Habakkuk wonders, when will this all end? Will no one stop Babylon? Will his reign of terror go on forever? I mean, who can stand in his way? Well, this touches the deepest question we often have when life crumbles in around us. How long will this last? Now, most people can stand up under trouble if they know it will eventually come to an end. But if it never ends... How will we survive? So there you have Habakkuk's three questions. Who are you, Lord? To which Habakkuk supplies his own answer. How can you do this? For which no answer is given. And how long will this last? 
for which no answer is given. Now, friends, these are all honest questions, the kind we all ask in times of trouble. We should note that Habakkuk is an utterly honest man who, when he has doubts, does not hesitate to tell them to the Lord. He doesn't cover up his doubts with pious platitudes, nor does he rush to give glib answers. He answers the only question he can answer, and he waits for God to answer the other two. He's confident in God, but confused by what God's doing in the world. He's a believing man with serious questions he can't answer. So what now? Well, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1 tells us, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. Now, some Bible translation uses the words or the phrase watchtower or guard post. It describes some sort of wooden tower that the prophet built. And there alone, he says, he would watch and wait for God's answer to come. Habakkuk did not know how the Lord would answer or how long he would have to wait. He just knew that having said all that was on his heart, now it was time to wait on the Lord. And remember, he still doesn't understand how God can use the wicked Babylonians to judge Judah for her sins. It just doesn't make sense to him. And that's precisely where Habakkuk is at this moment. He knows Judah needs to be broken because of her sin, but he cannot reconcile himself to God using the Babylonians as his appointed fingers of crushing judgment. Thus, his decision, I will wait on the Lord. We don't know how long he waited. Only at length God answered him. Now consider this. People say that God does not speak to men as he did long ago. Well, the truer statement is that men do not listen today as they did long ago. At some point, you you need to stop talking about your problems. But no one really wants to do that. We want to talk, and we need to talk, and talking is often beneficial. But some Christians can't get better because they just, plain simple, won't stop talking. So as we come to the end of this message... We've already reached a turning point. Having laid out his complaints before the Lord, Habakkuk now waits for an answer. And while he's honest about his complaints, he's also wise enough to take them to the Lord and leave them there. And that leads me to an important point. It's this. Our deepest problems are not psychological or sociological, and they are certainly not political. Our deepest problems are always theological. Can God be trusted? And what kind of God do we believe in? As I was thinking about those questions, two sentences came to me. Question Sentence one, he's not the God we think he is. And two, he's much better than that. And that's a huge truth. And I chose the word better because it sums up all I'm trying to say in this message. Not only is God far beyond us, much vaster than our puny minds can conceive, he's much better than we have imagined. I mean, God's ways are better. God's heart is better. God's thoughts are better. God's plan is better. All God is and all God does is better. And because that's true, we shouldn't be surprised that we continually run into the problem of not understanding him. And it shouldn't surprise us when his answers don't always line up with our desires. So what do you do when you prayed and you don't like the answer? What do you do when you don't like God's answer? Well, you can try bargaining, but that doesn't work. You can get angry, but that doesn't help. You can ask God some questions, which is what Habakkuk did. And you can go back to the first principles and remind yourself of who God is. That's also what Habakkuk did. 
Most of all, you can decide to wait on the Lord in faith and hope and in confidence that what doesn't make sense now will make sense later. And as you wait, remember that God doesn't keep time the way we do. Christian writer A.W. Tozer said, God never hurries. There are no deadlines against which he must work. Well, for the moment, for this week, we're going to leave Habakkuk. He's in his tower looking, watching, and waiting for the Lord to give him an answer. And waiting is good for the soul, especially if you're waiting on the Lord. And as you wait, remember that God has not forgotten you. You are on his mind right now. He sees you in your confusion, your fear, and your distress. But do not despair. But as you wait, rest your weary soul on this mighty promise from God, found in Isaiah 40, verse 31. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.